Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, and we have some people that you probably already know back with us on the show. We have Reed Stockwell. The hey there. Bishop of First Ward. And Good to be here. We have Tina Marchant, who is, is this the fifth time, or I, I, don't, I don't know, know. what I number? Lost, I, thought, I didn't count, but I'm glad to be here, too. Yeah, glad to have you back. Thank you. And, and then we have Deb Baldwin from First Ward. Say hi, Hi, Deb. everybody. Yeah, Thanks. glad to be here. Oh, we're we're glad to have you on the show. So we'll intro Deb a little bit here, and and we'll give you more space for that in a couple of minutes. But Deb is a psychologist over at Family Services, um, and you had an opportunity recently to teach a class at Young Women's Camp. Yeah, we did some training on self care and some training on divine identity, which was really super fun working with the girls. Yeah. Excellent. I, I can tell, and, and Tina and and all of us were talking about how a lot of the girls specifically got something really great out of that. So thank you for taking time to do that and, and offer that service to them. Of course. So we were discussing as a group before we started recording here that Young Women's Camp has a special spirit to it. And for me personally, it's it's hard to put your finger on it. And honestly, going there the first time last year, it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, but I was there for most of the camp this year. There were definitely parts I missed, but I was there every day. And there were several spiritual experiences there, but I remember the testimony meeting the last night there and it was a time when it was getting late already and I was not going to stay the night there I was going to go home I had a lot of other things to do including cleaning the house and I I just felt this itch to get out of there maybe sneak out the back and I had this prompting almost like a voice saying you need to stay here because you're standing on sacred ground and the I'm so glad I did because hearing the testimonies of the girls there is just so strengthening. And it, it's actually given me strength now going forward in the week that I didn't have before. So I'm I'm grateful to the girls. I I admire them for who they are, but I'm grateful for them strengthening me, I guess, and, and strengthening my own testimony. So that that was what one of the things I enjoyed. And Reed, you were also there. Yeah. What what did you enjoy from Girls well, Camp? Well, I, I I've been to a few in the past, but um this one was nice. There was a change in the testimony meeting, which is important and it really went well. But there was a young lady outside while it was going on, I was out, out of one of the doors on the breezeway just so that I could be a little cooler and <laughs> and, and I tried to hear. But she asked me a question. She goes as a, she says as a bishop she said, do you feel you have to be here to bear witness of their testimonies? And, and, I, was, um, and I wasn't sure I heard the question right, and, I, and maybe I, I didn't get it right, but I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I, I don't, I'm not having to be here for that, but I'm so blessed because I did. 
just to be able to hear the testimonies of these young women at that point. And it's kind of a crescendo at this point. You've had, you know, four days of of a girls camp and all these classes and all these experiences and all the things you try to um, give to them. And then that testimony meeting comes after the pep rally that you, had, <laughs> the, yeah. that you had prior to that. And then they come in there and it's just a change. The whole spirit changes and all of a sudden it's uh, so personal and so thick with the Holy Ghost and, and uh, feelings, emotions, and uh, testimonies that uh, it, it, it's an honor to, it's, it is an honor to witness that. What about you, Deb? What did you enjoy? Yeah, I think, well, I like what you said, Jason, about it being sacred ground because I, when we got there, I'm like, oh, it's just so beautiful. And I, I love just being in nature. But I could feel maybe there was something more, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I think for us, um, myself and Jody being there as the mental health um professionals from family services doing offering some classes for the girls i think you know we definitely felt the spirit when we were talking to them about things and i just appreciated having the opportunity to do that because i think that whole level of learning about ourselves was not something that was popular during my growing up and pr- maybe that's similar for for similar. some of us who are the same age, similar age but um and older because we just didn't talk about these things right no so, in fact we have the same birth yeah. year i found that out yeah. so totally agree with you it wasn't a part of our growing up yeah even though you like to say that i'm much older than you <laughs> much older <laughs> months and months older wow <laughs> Doesn't even show. <laughs> so yeah, for sure felt the spirit, and I just think our youth are so in- insightful, and maybe sometimes they get a bad rap for being more sensitive, but I think it there's strengths to that sensitivity as well that I can see a lot even in practice as working as a counselor with people in the office, seeing how insightful they are and how much depth of of, of people they are, and and being able to really see that come through even if they are struggling sometimes with things so yeah i appreciated that thank you i I want to ask tina about that about young women's camp how many it appears that so many hours go into it and i'm not talking just about the preparation of how we can organize things but the spiritual side of it um maybe that's what we're feeling is it's a little bit different than scouting and and the young men's before that it seems like there's the prayers and the efforts spiritually to prepare for that. We got to go to the battalion a couple of years ago, yeah. and the young men for the first time ever got a taste of what girls camp spirit, the the difference between that and scout camp or something like that, because it was it was really tangible yeah. to us. So what what really goes into the prep on the spiritual side of it? that you think makes the difference in it? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Like, there's, It's a lot. I mean, we start I, – I would I say we start in January, but it's like the day I got home from girls' camp, I'm thinking about next year. So there's a lot that goes into preparation. But like you were saying on the spiritual side, like we're thinking about spiritual thoughts. We're thinking about um, – we're thinking about the destinies, which are like little mini firesides. We're thinking about how do we um, prepare the older girls to be leaders and to be spiritual representatives, you know, and like how do, how do we help them to help all the girls? And so there's just, it's just hours, it's countless hours and lots of prayers. And 
Um, but the girls always pull it out and they always do such a good job. And I think there's just, I don't know, there's so much growth that happens during girls camp in all ways. Um, it's weird. It's such a short time really in the scheme of things, but I, you see that growth and then, and you feel like, I don't know. It's like the Grinch, you know, where says his heart grew 10 times that day. Like that's how, that's what happens when you're at girls camp. It's like your heart grows 10 times and all for all of those girls, for each of them. And it's, it's kind of a surreal experience as an adult. Um, I did it forever as, as you know, a youth and being on the other side of it is just, it's very different and um, it's really cool. It's very tiring and <laughs> um, I'm still exhausted and I need like six more naps today. But um, otherwise, I, it's really fun to see that come together for them and to see all of the people and the, and the hard work they put in because there's a lot of adults. There's almost as many adults as there are girls that yeah. put this time in and um, all the things that happen in the background so that they can have this experience. It's just a really, it's really cool to see all of that come together. It seems to be executed so well, you know. I mean, you know, it it is. I mean, it's (laughs) it's really uh, orderly and very little chaos. I mean, there's some, you know, that you can't help it, but you can just tell that it's run really well. The girls are kept busy in the things that are going to help them, and um, it's just impressive to watch it. It's, uh, you know, we come there and it's like, what do you want us to do? Oh, you three go over here and, (laughs) you know, and it's like, and you do that. Okay. Awesome. And, and, and everything just, it's like a well-run machine, which is, which is good because I think youth need to feel that order and structure too. Hmm. But at the same time, as Deb said, it's in an environment out there. I mean, anytime you're out in the outdoors, I love it, Mm -hmm. but, and it leads, it leads people, I think, to the spirit. Yeah. There's something mm-hmm. there's something special about that. And it can't know. be done in the chapel. You yeah. can't accomplish that in the chapel. I always mm-hmm. I always noticed as a youth at Camp Alpine that whenever we had a spiritual experience, a destiny or or an evening activity that was spiritual, the wind blows. And I don't know if mm-hmm. that was coincidence, but it always seems to happen there. I didn't notice it as much at this other venue, but um it was just one of those things like so now when the wind blows through the trees, it kind of brings back that memory for me. So I, I like that a lot. The, the outdoors yeah. brings you a little closer for some reason. Sure. Yeah. Well, we're all warmed up now. Uh, Deb, we talked a little bit about how we start the show. Our, our first question is, imagine yourself going into a new ward, which isn't too hard because you just moved in not too long ago. <laughs> True. And, and you're, you're getting up and speaking in sacrament meeting. And maybe you've already been asked to do that too, um, but you're you're sharing basically who you are, where you came from with the word, and go. Okay, so my name is Deb Baldwin, and I've lived in Oregon for about two, just over two years now. Um, people ask me what got me out here, and I just say it's a total God thing because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm here right now, even in in a sense, right? Like I know the mechanics of how I got here, but uh, some some parts of me are like, what am I even doing here? <laughs> um, but I'm from upstate New York in a little town called Athens, um, which is in the in the Hudson Valley and near the Catskill Mountains below Albany, if anybody is familiar. And I had my own mental health journey um, that got me to the point of where I am today of now being um, a mental health counselor. 
And so I just felt like once I wrapped up my schooling and my internships, I I was doing that in Maryland because I thought I was going to get married to a guy down there. So that's a whole nother story, probably a whole nother topic. Um, but I went back home from Maryland and I was just feeling like it wasn't where I was meant to be. And I threw a lot of prayer and um, and fasting and trying to figure things out. I just felt like I needed to come out here. I have a brother that lives in Newburgh. Um, so it kind of felt like a safe uh, adventure, <laughs> I mm-hmm. guess. A little bit of a safe adventure because he's already here. And so I got a job offer down in Roseburg um, and worked for a company down there doing mobile crisis work, which I had done a lot of in New York and Maryland, which is basically responding with police or responding with um, another mental health professional to people who are having a mental health emergency or crisis or suicidal, something along those lines. Um, And so then I got a job working for the church as a counselor, which really helped me to be able to calm down, calm, calm my nervous system down, I guess, after working crisis for all those years, which I thought I would always work crisis forever. And so that brought me up to Springfield, um, where I'm living now. And so I've been able to enjoy a lot of different learning and a lot of experiences being down in Roseburg and now up here. And I also um, am in the Relief Society as the second counselor in our Springfield First Ward. So that's been a great experience. And I think if I didn't have all these things pulled together, um, it would be maybe harder for me to integrate myself into the ward because I'm kind of an extroverted introvert myself. So we didn't give her a chance to settle down. As soon as she <laughs> yeah, <came> that was <laughs> probably inspired, Bishop. <laughs> probably knew I needed needed a calling right away to keep keep myself moving. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and um, most of my family is back east, and yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what the Lord wants me to do next. Well, quick question, just real quick about the Roseburg. When you were down there, the uh, mobile crisis work, was that like cahoots that they have here? It kind of was. Yeah, it kind of was like um, similar to that format. Although I think from my understanding, cahoots is, uh, I think, like EMTs. And so instead of that, we would have mental health counselors and social workers go out And when I first got down there, my first week was like, here's the keys to the van. Here's a police radio. Here's a a CAD, which is so you can see all the the police calls and have access to that and go have fun. And I'm like, wait, where's my partner? Why am I going out into the field alone? Where's my bulletproof vest? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. And so and then I think one of my last uh, calls that I went on was like talking someone off a bridge. And I'm just Mm. like. Yeah, I think I'm good on this. (laughs) So I was branching out and looking to do private practice work and found a place that I was working part time in addition to the crisis unit. And I happened to call up to family services in in Springfield and ask them like, hey, can you add me to your list of, you know, you can refer people out to me. And I just had a feeling to ask them like, oh, by the way, do you have any open positions? And they happened to. So it was just total a total God thing that everything all fell together in, in that way because I couldn't have orchestrated that 
if I tried, right? <laughs> like the well, logistics you, you of talk, it all. You referred to that also earlier on where you said your trip out here, your journey out here was not kind of something planned. It yeah. Was fo follow the connected dots or something. Yeah. I expected uh, there was a guy in Maryland that we were like ring shopping and like I thought I was going to be a stepmom and it just didn't come together. I had the most spiritual experiences in my life surrounding that relationship. And I was just like, oh, this is my life now. And it just all kind of fell apart and didn't happen. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and that was a really um, a faith crisis for me because of those intense spiritual experiences. And I had just been coming back to church after a long time of many years as an adult being very inactive from church and just kind of living living life and I would say looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> that was me, like very much like the, is it a country song? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so Awesome. Yeah. Can we go back a little bit and talk about your mental health journey? Because yeah. I, I think that's something you and I have worked together pretty closely on, you know, helping several people. And I think, you know, you're well aware of the fact that a lot of members of the church in particular are um, maybe just discovering mental health mm -hmm. or discovering things about themselves. And I think it's really helpful to hear other people's experience to know that we're not alone. Um, even if it doesn't solve the problems or give us the, you know, three steps to, yeah. <laughs> you know, a better, better mental health or whatever. Yeah, sure. I say I, I'm in recovery for mental health. Like I, I, I classify myself as kind of always actively working on my mental health. And that's what got me into being interested to work with other people in that realm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how far to go back, but I think Growing up, my parents had some marital problems that they never dealt with. And so we grew up in a household that was very, um, you know, they did their best, but was very much not what I would classify as the ideal Latter-day Saint household, um, especially when you're, you know, singing all the hymns and love at home and you're like, well, what the heck? My family doesn't <laughs> really match up with this. Like, what does that mean about us and about me? And so I just really struggled to identify my self-worth and to love myself and to, I think they struggled with that for themselves too. Um, which looking back at it now, I can, I can have total, uh, you know, compassion for both of my parents in that way. But at, when I was growing up, I just was like, oh, we're like, we're getting it all wrong. You know, like, we're doing it wrong. And so um, speed up. I, there was a man in our church who we all knew. I mean, I was in the same branch forever, grew up in that branch. And he started paying attention to me. I, I don't know if I would classify it as grooming, but maybe looking back on it, it could have been like he would always pay attention to me when I was younger. And it just we ended up dating. And that's really what took me away from the church. Um, he proposed to me when I was 21 in the Manhattan Temple, like in the uh, open house. And in the celestial room. So I thought, you know, we were headed that way, but he was 20 years older than me. And I just kind of always felt like, okay, like I'm, I'm waiting to get married in the temple to this guy. But then all these other disclosures happen. Like he 
it came out that he was gay for like 20 years and just it was just you know a mess of a situation and again went totally against like oh i have these ideas in my head of how my life's going to go i'm going to get married in the temple to this person i love and i just i think at that time i just didn't feel strong enough i didn't love myself enough to like try to break away from that relationship and so we were together for 12 years and um he got at that time he got excommunicated and not not because of necessarily what he had done but because he was in a position of power and he had lied about it and lied about you know his lifestyle and things like that and he just wasn't at all repentant for having lied so i think that played into it a lot i felt very trapped because on one hand he was very um loving and attentive and i felt like i really needed that having not felt feeling that i could love myself on the other hand he would make comments every once in a while like oh no one's gonna love you as much as i will if you leave and things of that nature so you know, having struggled with that in and of myself, I just didn't feel strong enough. And then I started actually like as that relationship went on and just started feeling like getting to a point of feeling suicidal and like, okay, I got to do something here. Like this doesn't feel great. So I think first I went to addiction recovery program, which was like seemed very newfangled in upstate New York because we don't have as many members of the church there. So I I think, you know, kind of as things unfold in the church, they kind of get to us, you know, kind of towards (laughs) after they've been in Utah and and, in the West, um, they kind of get to us later down the road. But Which is maybe good because maybe things have sorted out a little bit better. Right. (laughs) Maybe. Who who knows, right? Um, But I was very impressed with that program. And then I went to a few counseling sessions with a therapist that was um, facilitating that group. And then I got in with my therapist who I still see today um, over the phone. (laughs) Um, But she was just fantastic. And she just really helped me to individuate and, and know that I am lovable and that I can do things on my own. And I, um, you know, boundaries was a big thing. Like my family, we didn't, they didn't have boundaries. Like what's that, (laughs) you know, like, So just working through a lot of my own stuff really helped me. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I could probably go on and on about that, but I don't know. Does anybody else have a question? Well, not a question, but I I like what you said. Those things happen, I think, uh, to to almost everybody. I assume that all of us are wrestling with some mental health issues. Uh I think everybody, whether you're diagnosed ADD, OCD, or whatever, I think that there's something with all of us that life – has given us yeah. as, as a challenge and that we're all trying to get through something. I, I, you know, I, like you said, some of the most important things are spiritual value and, and self-worth. Yeah. And, that, and that it goes back to the young uh, women's camps, which what are we trying to teach them? That they're sons and sons and daughters of Heavenly Father. Right. That they have an infinite uh, potential and worth. And man, if like you experienced later on in life is if we can find that out early, it's that's where everything hinges on. If we can right. figure that, if we could figure that out and feel it and say, "No, I know who I am," right? And all this yeah. other stuff is dirty minutia or mm-hmm. whatever, and it's a lot of conflict and struggles. But you know what? 
at least I know this. Yeah. And, and just knowing that, grasping a hold of that for our youth is, I'd say, one of the most valuable things that we can do for them. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know who I was. And I think that was, yeah. even though I, mm. I didn't ever have an issue or take issue with doctrine in the church or, you know, I, I was fine with the proclamation to the family. I never had an issue, but I just didn't, it didn't really sink in that I, was a daughter of God and that he loved me because I was kind of like, well, if he loved me, then why would he let all this crap happen to me, <laughs> you know? And why would why would all these hard things happen? And I just kind of was angry with him for a long time. And so I think part of my being inactive too was just like not knowing how to reconcile that relationship and what it meant. And I know um, I had some other abuse not from family or anything down the road, but from in other relationships that happened. And I think that is a typical thing that happens uh, is that you have a hard time trusting even Heavenly Father. Um, that's a pretty typical response to abusive situations or abuse that's happened. So, What was the thing that popped you out into the light then or that made you really? Um, yeah. So I think after that 12-year relationship, I kind of just went off the rails and was just like, again, looking for love in all the wrong places. But it just got it just got kind of wild. I was just kind of wild and just hurting and and not taking care of myself and spending a lot of time in other relationships that just were very negative. And I think I recognized that I didn't have peace. I recognized mm -hmm. that very um that was very clear to me. You don't have peace like you did when you were going to church. Even though things weren't all perfect then, you had a measure of peace and a measure of, okay, like I can get through this. And then the other thing that really I was like deathly afraid of not progressing, um, I just remember thinking like, I'm just so stagnant. Like it had been maybe four or five years. I'm just so stagnant and I feel like what if I die like this? Like, I'm just not progressing, you know? And that to me was my worst fear at that time. And so I knew that I needed to really come back in earnest. And I kind of like would come back for a while and then, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so would call for my past or I'd put myself in a bad position or I don't know. When did you recognize Heavenly Father was guiding you? I think I recognized it throughout that time because I could – there were times too where I felt like people were praying for me and I'd be like, stop praying for me, like in my head, right? Like, <laughs> stop it. I know you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like I can feel it. Just stop it, you know? And, uh, or there was one time that was really poignant because I kind of felt like, oh man, I've wasted all this time, you know? Like, I, am I going to be behind the eight ball always? And I just felt this like witness of the spirit say, don't worry, like you'll, it will it will be as if you weren't gone. Like that's what I heard from the spirit. It will be as if you weren't gone and it'll be okay. And so that's really what kind of helped me turn the corner. And I was living with this guy at the time that I was dating. And so I moved back home and, you know, much to my parents' uh, delight, <laughs> you know, because they were always <laughs> telling me, <laughs> yeah, they were always telling me, move back home, go back to school, this and that, you know, and just like, guys, stop telling me what to do, you know, uh -huh. but you know, it's right what they were telling me. And uh, so I moved back home and just really buckled down and, and tried to get my life to put back together. And I think 
at that time too, I was struggling with some really severe depression, like to the point where I was, it was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to do basic self-care. And so I knew I needed to refocus and, and just work on it and try to do a little bit better each day. But yeah, that's, that's a bulk of really what Mm. happened. Uh, I'm seeing Tina nodding along here. And and I know that you and I, Tina, have had some chats kind of in the abstract more about mental health and how it's impacting people in the world. And I just wondered, listening to Deb's story, were there any like thoughts you had or, or questions or? Um, actually, the kids and I were just watching Miracles from Heaven. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's based on a, a true story about a girl that gets really, really sick. And then she has this miraculous recovery after she speaks with God. But um, it, there was a part in there where they talked a lot about that, being angry with God mm-hmm. in your journey and and when bad things happen to us. And I feel like that happens a lot. You know, there's a lot of bad things that happen. And I feel like sometimes we get caught in it and sometimes mm-hmm. it's our choices and sometimes it's life and sometimes it's other people's choices and and mm-hmm. we don't have control over that. Um, yeah. And I was just kind of thinking about like what what kinds of things would you recommend to to be able to get out of that cycle of being angry with God and being able to turn it back to that's I need to one. trust in Him because yeah. that's where I'm going to find my peace. I think not, and I love that question. I think not taking yourself out of the game, right? Like yeah. I feel like I would be the person to go, okay, well I'm not going to church. I'm not praying. I'm and those things, those are the times where I really needed to do, do those things and just tell him, express to him that I'm ticked at him, you know, and and I think um, he wants us to come to him even in those times. And I, I think uh, something that really dawned on me while I was driving out to Oregon, so I, I drove, packed up my little Toyota Curl and drove what I could fit in there <laughs> from New York uh-huh. to Oregon. And while while I was driving out here, I was listening to a CD that I conveniently can't remember <laughs> at the time, but it's um it's a twelve step, and I think the author's name is Colleen. The last name starts with an H. I can get the information for you guys, but um she's talking about how she feels like we agreed to our trials even before we came here because agency is such a big deal. Um, so there's no scriptural reference, but just that really stuck in my head. Like, okay, maybe I agreed to having parents that weren't super equipped to like love me the way that I thought I needed or felt I needed. Um, maybe I agreed to some of these things that have happened to me right before I came here. And that really just kind of also helped me to like kind of place that, like to look at eternal perspective because I think it's just so easy when those things happen too to get myopic as President Nelson says to just focus in on the disappointments and the hurt and to not recognize that hey any any learning that we get whether it be bad good meh indifferent whatever it is we're gonna take that along this this journey with us um throughout eternity yeah and I had a follow-up to that. So just in helping people who may be going through that crisis too, mm-hmm. um, I I like what you said, and it's similar to a phrase I use. I, I have learned the phrase, stay in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I've had to learn that as a leader that when a youth or an adult is is battling and and saying that you know they're mad at God or something like that, that's not them quitting. They're fighting for their life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, ugh, okay, that's getting me. <laughs> but yeah. um, they're fighting, and sometimes it's just staying in that conversation with them. Yeah. Well, that's and, what I thought when yeah. you said it too. I realized you know if you're mad at God, you're you're talking to him. Right. You're talking to him. Yeah. You're t- you know, and I thought, you know, it's okay to be upset, even if it's because you don't understand. Yeah. But you're upset to the person that really has the answers. And you don't understand, you know, it's like a little kid not getting his way or being stuck in a mm-hmm. corner. And you're upset, but mom, let me out. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> I won't do that or whatever. Or I'll, you're, you're trying to negotiate. Yeah. A little bit with Heavenly Father to find out what am I doing wrong? What, you know, am I really a bad person? No, okay, I'm not a bad person. Mm-hmm. Then, then why am I here? Why am I experiencing these things? Mm-hmm. But you're talking to the right, you're communicating to the right person. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, when you said that, I thought, you know, when you said, tell God how you feel, how you really feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think you, I think we all need to know how to do that. Yeah. All of that image mm-hmm. we use in seminary, I'd, I'd take like a Jenga block mm-hmm. and, and they can write their, whatever's bothering them, what their questions are, what their problems are. And I said, okay, if you if you hold it up to your eyes and it's really close, what are you seeing? You're only seeing your problem and you can no longer see past that. So if you could put your problem over here and maybe you still don't understand it, maybe you still can't figure out why this is happening, you know, and maybe we never will, you know, some of those things right. we probably won't know mm-hmm. in this life, you know, like, why did this happen? Uh, why do I have to go through this? And if you really love me, why is this happening? Well, he does really love you. And he's helping you take that and put it off to the side and say, hey, I'm still here. Yeah. And if you can move that away from your eyes and be able to see that he's still there, you know, you can see kind of his hand along the way. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a hard process to do, though, especially when you're in it, right? Like that mm-hmm. problem is yeah. right in your face. It's a good visual, though. Yeah, and especially if it hits some of those deeper wounds that are untrue about yourself, like those yeah. things that you you think are true about yourself that are not, you know, and I think another thing that helps me is knowing that Jesus wept, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that he's a God of sorrows and that, um, like, seeing us go through these things are hard for for our Savior and for Heavenly Father as well. You know, um, they don't delight in these hard things that we're going through. Sometimes they know on the other side of it we're going to have um, – you know, beauty and miracles and all these other things that will make it worth it. Um, so they know that and they can see the whole picture. But I think knowing that, you know, Jesus is a God of sorrows kind of helps, uh, kind of helps me when I'm feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably sits there like, like when I see my kids suffer, that's so, so much harder yeah. than if I like, when they're sick and I'm like, I wish that could be me because it's easier for me to deal with, right. you know, being sick. And so I feel like he's probably the same mm-hmm. way, just watching like, ah, this is so hard for me to watch you do this. But, you know, he, he knows, mm-hmm. he knows that end result of what, what we're going to get out of it if we can keep it in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's that. interesting to relate to that when the atonement is in, in there, is there not for sin, not just for sorrow, but mm-hmm. we don't understand are you talking about how you're parenting or how you were parented? And I learned a long time ago, a counselor told us, he said, 
your your parents were doing with what they had. Yeah. Both of them are alcoholics and things like that. They were doing the best that they could with the tools that they had. And Heavenly Father knew mm -hmm. that. When you said you signed a waiver, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. I signed a waiver to come on despite <laughs> all I knew. Right. And this is, I know this joke is way too soon for what happened, but it's like the guys that signed on to that submersible that exploded. They actually, oh, yeah. they actually signed three waivers and each of them were explicit about you know, this can really end up happen. bad, but right. they're, they're very explicit. We, what we don't realize is, is that those things were, these things in our life are so necessary for us to become whole and complete, mm -hmm. but it just doesn't feel good. With, you know, like they say, uh, what do they say? <laughs> the gospel talks about dunging. You know, it says we you plant the crops, you water them, you dung them. Nobody likes standing in dung, mm -hmm. but you don't grow. If you don't get done, yeah, <laughs> yep. and yeah. It, fertilizer has to happen, and we experience these things, and they are what they're what change everything in our lives so yeah. much. They're so powerful, but when you're in the middle of them, it feels like the world is falling apart, right? And it's so hard to get the perspective of no, this isn't. You know, like you said, if you can look ahead or from the eyes of a parent, you can look at it and say, "I know what you're going through," but to, to have a youth. Or a person in the middle of it, it's really hard to say. I know I signed on for this. Okay, this isn't what I thought it was, mm -hmm. and this this will have a a sweet smell somewhere down. The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it is hard, but I think trying to have that perspective is really key because knowing that so many of the things we go through are temporary and are only for a season, and maybe some of them we will have for this whole earth life because they temper us and they help us to understand compassion. Um, but I think so many of the things we go through, I'm like, oh man, if looking back, I'm such a different person than I was when I was younger, right? So uh, why did I overreact to that? Or what what made me mm -hmm. do this? And um, I think just knowing that there's just a season that we're going to have to go through these things and um, that we can reach out and we can reach up too, that that's important. So is that what attracted you to this kind of work? <sighs> I think so. I think going through <laughs> my own process, um, and then I had heard along the way that there were members of the church that were counselors, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> like this is probably 15 years ago, right? Like, what? You can be, you can be a, a counselor for the church? Like, what does that even mean? And I was just instantly attracted to it. And But it took me all this time to get here, which is kind of – and I can see looking back, I can see all the steps and all the things that had to happen, which is kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, doing my own stuff and wanting people to feel empowered and to know that, like, hey, all, all the things you think aren't necessarily true. All the things you feel aren't necessarily true. Um, and we also have the adversary working against us with that stuff sometimes, you know, to, to help us us to not know who we are because that's i think a big goal of the adversary is to help us to not tune into our divine identity and that's one yeah. thing i picked up on from your talk about your faith journey mental health journey is self-worth was at the core of that and 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 i really think that that's at the core of our gospel and our most precious doctrine is knowing who we are and where we come from and I, I was even talking about this with our priest today in our quorum class, because I, I think that 
Satan can even, I have to be really careful with how I say this, but I, I think Satan can even creep into our church culture a little bit mm -hmm. and how we talk about ourselves. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I think unintentionally and from a very good place, we may go up to the pulpit and say, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, uh -huh. um, or I'm broken. And, and I understand where that's coming from, and I understand the truth behind that. But I also would say, you know, you've lied before, at least I have. <laughs> um, do you call yourself a liar? Right. You know, no, you wouldn't. In fact, you'd probably be offended if somebody said that about you. Um, and I, I, what we came up with together is that we, we need to think of ourselves more as I'm a son, I'm a daughter who happens to sin. And I, I think that that mindset of I'm, I'm a son living a sonship destined to be a king, I'm a daughter destined to uh, be a queen in the kingdom of God, like right. that's... Yeah. Helping kids know that identity, it's its all over. I mean, you can tell our leaders in the church are all about this. that That's where the youth themes come from. Yeah. That's the only problem I have with 12-step programs in society is like Alcoholics Anonymous or and things like that. You're always an alcoholic. You'll always be an alcoholic. And I understand why they do that mm -hmm. because the recidivism is so, rate is so high, but it doesn't. it also doesn't give them the hope that Christ does, which is no. When you repent completely and you're healed, I forget your sins. They don't exist. Yeah, I, I born them. They're not yours anymore. They're gone. And that's a, this huge leap from no, I've got to keep that that on my shoulder all the time because I know really when it all comes down to it, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug user mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm a whatever. And to be able to say no, you're healed, Christ, I healed you, mm -hmm. and that's gone. And that's the huge difference between I think us and the world. But you're right. Mm -hmm. It can creep into almost every aspect of our life. That's oh, yeah. one way I'm trying to think differently mm -hmm. now is is I'm not a sinner trying to fix my broken pieces. I'm I'm a son trying to inherit my father's throne. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I think it's important to talk about broken pieces. Yeah. Right? Because I think sometimes we get we for we internalize that and yeah. we don't vocalize it. And yep. I think that mm -hmm. that can be a problem as well. Um and that's no, I, I thought that about myself of, of lots of different things, you know, over the years, and it's been really important for me to vocalize that. But like yeah. you said, I don't want to identify with that. Yep. You know, like that's not Correct. who I want to be. So that's not who, you know, that's not part of my identity, even though it's a part of, you know, my past. And then I want to take that forward and, and identify with those deeper levels of being a child of God instead. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we talked about, we talked about, um, sharing your story mm -hmm. and uh i think you you serve right now as a relief society uh teacher counselor, yeah. or counselor yeah. okay but you teach in relief society too correct or? um i used to down in uh, roseburg i was that was one of my favorite callings was okay. a teacher in relief society yeah okay and and i think that you and i have talked before about how vulnerability is and sharing your own story has been such a big mm -hmm. part of just feeling fulfilled in the church and growing there. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people who struggle with the idea of how do I start being vulnerable without being an oversharer and how do I find the line there? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. And I think that's been a bit of my platform since coming back to the church is a bit of like, hey, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to 
like say, hey, I showed up today to church and I had to deserve a gold star because it was really hard just to get out of bed and come here today. Right. Like, I think that's really important for us to unify over that and to not unify over the perfectionism that is so misleading and so false that can take people off track, too. Um, And so I think I don't know, I guess it's maybe trying to like start start where you are. Um, Maybe it's opening up to someone when they identify a struggle that you also have. Maybe it's, you know, as long as that person's safe to do that with. Maybe it's uh, stepping outside of your comfort zone and talking to someone you don't know. Um, I don't know. I think it can be different for everyone, but I think it's all well needed because we're all so individual, but we have common experiences. And I think, I know I, I work with a lot of infield missionaries too in the counseling office and they all want to be like so dedicated. They want to be a hundred percent like super missionary and they all want to be like, you know, elder so-and-so elder Smith or sister Smith, who's like the perfect missionary. (laughs) And I talked to them a lot about how, you know, if God wanted robots, he could have made robots probably I'm assuming. (laughs) And there's something that's beautiful and needed. And each of us individually that helps this work to move forward, that helps his his purposes and his services to uh, to be fulfilled um, with us. And even if that is coming together as someone who has had things happen and tragedies and, you know, whatever, whatever it is for each person, I think there is beauty in that and that it's also beautiful when we share that Um and I think maybe even just leaning on the spirit to know when that that would be safe to do and maybe asking in prayer for help with that, because I think that's so well needed and in, in this unity that we're seeking as um, members of the church and our wards and our, you know, stakes and our families even, um, that it, it's it's needed. So I don't know, I could probably go on for a while. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, about that helped a lot. And, and just hearing that vocalizing something we already intuitively kind of know, but it's a good reminder that just the spirit can be the biggest yeah. guide as far as what's an overshare and what's an appropriate thing that people are going to connect with. Yeah. Because um, I know we work on that as bishops. We, yeah. we have that where a lot of information is given to us in our offices and trying to pick the right time to tell them things of our past also that we'd like to share with them that will mm-hmm. be helpful yeah. and and really you know stressing over is this going to be <laughs> is this going <laughs> right. to be helpful right. or is this going to be justifying their you know or whatever and you know you, you worry about that and yeah. it it is it is a tough road to walk but mm-hmm. it's but it is when given correctly it's helpful it is mm-hmm. powerful and and it should be and that's and I'd say that's part of why you know, you talk about why are all these things happening to me? Are they going to be beneficial? They are. Yeah. That journey is yeah. huge. And people, I guess we would find out more people are struggling than we would think. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, probably probably most. Yeah. 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 And, and, that we, yeah. and it can be of great help and solace to them and yeah. confidence. And well, I think sometimes those hidden things, um, those things that we keep to ourselves, they gain more traction or more, more power in our lives when – if we can take the time to to share them, then we might be able to get some relief or, I don't know, some just having someone else know our stuff, not feel alone, 
um, we run the healing from sexual abuse group um, now that we started with uh, members of the church in the southern southern Oregon that we do over Zoom. And there's real power in that into inviting the Savior in and giving him the opportunity to heal us by speaking our truth. And so I think that could apply to other things that people have gone through too. But I think with this topic of self-disclosure, it's like, what's going to drive connection here? Mm-hmm. What's going to what's going to really help? Because maybe sometimes oversharing makes it feel disconnected for some people, you know, but, it, but is there, is there an opportunity for me to drive connection with my own story or with something that I could say here? You mentioned it, but does the Zoom technology help in that? I mean, I understand we had to get into it due to COVID, Yeah, but is it actually working well? Yeah. Feel? Yeah. It's working well. And we have a lot of, well, maybe not a lot, but some research, empirical research that shows that it's just as effective as in person for, in most cases, in some cases, like maybe working with kids and play therapy, it's probably not going to work so well over Zoom. I think they got Zoom right. saturated through but COVID. Adults. But yeah, for adults, for the most part, maybe there's some cir- special circumstances where it's not super effective. Do you but. think it's more effective also because you're not sitting face to face and they're not really anonymous because they're still in a Zoom environment? But do they um, feel, do you think people are more forthcoming maybe i think maybe sometimes knowing that they'll not likely meet us face to face ever um if they're from like yeah if they're from from, like southern parts of the state or (laughs) you know even our area covers down into like wairica california but it's it's great to use that yeah yeah it's been a blessing i like i like everything we're talking about here and um i what I took away, part of what I took away from what you said too, is that practicing and getting ready to tell your story and praying about how to do that is is so important. And I, I think honestly, it's an important part of our faith tradition is is knowing how to share your story well. And I think it's a skill that you can actually build. And another skill I think you can build as well, and I think it's equally important, is learning how to listen to somebody else's story. Mm. And and and. I have nothing more to say about that. It just, I think it's a valuable thing to know. Um, and, and honestly, probably a big reason why we have the podcast mm-hmm. is, is learning to the, listen to the story. But I, I'm looking over at Tina here. I think we found our theme for the uh, podcast today, by the way. But <laughs> uh, Tina, what, what comments or, or questions do you have at this point? Um, are we moving on from this? We can move on okay. or we can stay here. I don't, I don't care. I mean, let's, this was a good discussion. What, I like what we're talking about. I, yeah. We could go on to something else. I, th- I think sharing your story is important to understand context. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, like you knowing when to share part of that and when not to share is also important. Oh, yeah. You know, time and a place, right? You, do, you don't want to air your dirty laundry in sacrament meeting, but right. you know, if you have an example that fits with what you're saying. So it's like you have to know how much yeah. how much to share kind of thing. But um, just getting away from that because – there's more that's about Deb that I want to hear about. Um, 
you said in here that you're most proud of your family history work. So I wanted to hear a little yeah. bit more about yeah. that story because I have tried to get into family history <laughs> and my sister-in-law loves it. And I was like, you got to, Lindsay, you got to teach me how to do this. And I sat down with her and I was like, I don't get it. Like right. it's seriously <laughs> over my head and so frustrating, but I love that temple ready button. I'm all over that. And I, right. I love making those connections. I just, I'm not good at doing it. So I'm really interested yeah. in to hear how that went for you. Well, thanks for for sharing that because I think that's that's part of your story that yeah. maybe people can really connect to because I think sometimes it's hard to understand well what the heck does this even mean? I brought my patriarchal blessing with me just for because I was like, oh, well, how would people really know me? Probably they would know me the best by reading my blessing, but I'm not going to read this here. But it does say um, in it that. I'll have unique joy associated with doing temple and family history work. And I was like, well, what the heck? I hadn't done it, you know, <laughs> for for years and years and years. And then I finally, when I moved to Roseburg, someone was like, hey, do you want to try indexing? And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. I've never heard that word in my life. And um, I felt kind of silly because I had grown up in the church, right? So I'm like, indexing, why don't I know what this is? And so I realized, I'm like, wait a minute. I quickly realized that putting those, doing that work and checking those records and basically it's data entry and reviewing that was helping people to find those missing links to their family. And so then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, like if I may be doing this for, for some other people, maybe other people are unbeknownst to them working on records that will help me and my family. And I think what really helped me catch the family history bug was that my mom was adopted. And I think that plays a big part in her story, but she doesn't really maybe admit it because <laughs> she was uh, she was adopted when she was like three or four years old. And so she was kind of like between other people's homes, like maybe friends of her biological moms kind of bouncing around for a while. And I always thought that it impacted her in a negative way because I know that she felt um, like like she was missing this connection. And I think it impacted her self-worth, which then it like that trickles down to like my self-worth and like, you know what I mean? So I was just really always interested, like, mom, like, why don't we try to find your family and so over the years, we had talked about it, but nothing really ever happened. And then finally, two-ish years ago, the governor of New York opened adoption records so that we could get her pre-adoption birth certificate so we could find out her parents' names on her birth certificate. And so once that happened, I also had her do the Ancestry DNA. Oh, 23andMe, yeah. Yeah. So we did Ancestry DNA and her cousin on her dad's side happened to do it and I was able to reach out to him and he's like no I don't think this is like we're connected in any way and I'm like wait 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 no don't like I think there's something here because <laughs> he was just like I just did this kind of like I didn't think it would mean anything and so we exchanged um I sent him a picture of my mom and we talked a little bit and we saw that there was like a resemblance, first of all. He knew you weren't stalking him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we saw there was a resemblance. And um, he's like, well, my uncle John, he lived in Yonkers, New York for such and such time. and I, But I don't know. And 
but she looked like him. She had his nose. And so then he reached out to her half-sister, who's my Aunt Shirley now <laughs> that I know her, and um, he had her do the ancestry DNA, and it came back, you know, as, you know, I don't know what it's called, the, is it centigrams? Anyway, um, the amount of DNA connection, basically, that there is. Yeah. And so we were able to start talking to her half-sister, and it just got me, like, thinking about how many people are are on my mom's side that haven't had any opportunity to have their work done. Um, what we were a little bit frustrated with is we couldn't find her mom. We couldn't find her biological mom, and we thought for sure that we would find her first because we had her name. Her dad's name wasn't even on the birth certificate. And so we just really struggled. And I, so I think my I have like this investigative sense a little bit, and I think that kind of um, that came up while we were trying to figure, put all these pieces together. When I went to a work conference for, it was a new employee orientation for working for the church. And I had a sense of like, okay, stay an extra day. And I was like, well, why am I going to stay an extra day? Like, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to meet somebody. I, I don't know. I had no idea what it was, but we went to, um, the family history is it the family history museum and the family history center family search i don't know i'm sorry i'm kind of bungling all the names but anyway we went there and this girl helped me and i said a little prayer i was like susan which is my mom's biological mom like please help us to find you like i promise it won't be bad cuz i just kind of had <laughs> i just kind of had this feeling that she yeah, I did. I had this feeling that she was holding back and it was so hard to find her. And it's like, come on, like, it's not going to be bad. We're not going to blame you. Um, and so we found her records and she lived 15 minutes away from where my mom lives now. She like lived there until she died in the 90s, which is bizarre because she I'm like, Mom, you could have like seen her in the grocery store. store. Yeah. You could have run into her like and here we just it was just this huge unknown that was like impacting my mom's self-worth for so long, you know. And so the last time I went home, we we found her grave and we put, you know, a little angel on it and my dad dedicated the grave and it was just like a really beautiful and I hope healing <laughs> experience for my mom and for my family to, you know, have found her. And so since then we've done some of her work and stuff, but I had this goal. I get these like arbitrary goals in my head of doing like X amount of <laughs> temple work and so when I was living in Roseburg, doing the indexing, putting all this, all the pieces together with Heavenly Father's help, um, I ha happened to have a four-day work schedule, so I had three days off. So Sunday was church. Monday I would do, you know, errands and cleaning, and then two every Tuesday, pretty much, I would go to the temple. And so I'm like, oh, I have this goal of doing 500 ordinances. And so I would just go into like both of my family lines, print off what wasn't done and what I could could do, what I was allowed to do. And so I just started working on it. And, you know, I would kind of convince 
<laughs> the temple workers to let me do way more than I they should have allowed me to do, probably. <laughs> and I would stalk other people who were there. I'm like, do you have names? Hey, you over there. You know, do you have your own names? Like, I was just like, kind of doling out. I was. I was doling out the yeah. names because I'm like, had this big goal to do. And my family, <laughs> my family helped with that. And pretty much every time we got together to visit, like if I flew to New York, we would book a temple trip and go do a chunk of that 500. And then I was like, I want to do a thousand. <laughs> and so it's just like, it just never ends. And I'm at 935. And so I don't know. I just, I caught the bug that it talked about in my blessing. And I just really, I think about it kind of as like, these are the things that I can do for these people. And most of them don't talk back. And I love that. <laughs> you know, I love that. Um, it's kind of like, it's an active way to serve them. But also like, you don't have anyone usually disagreeing or telling, they're, they're, yeah, they're no resistance, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just like the time and the effort and the energy to do it. And so it's just, it's been a blessing in my life just to be able to do that service for them because I just feel so responsible. I think that's what it is. I just feel so responsible for these people. I'm like, who else is going to care about these people? You know, and I know the Lord cares and he would find a way if I couldn't figure it out. But I'm like, who else is going to care about these random people? Like, um, you know, the relatives that are maybe not on my direct line even, but we're able to do the work for them still like so-and-so's great uncle Joe's, uh, you know, third wife <laughs> or whatever. I'm just like, who's going to even know about these people. Um, so it's just been kind of a joy to discover this new, um, I guess, hobby and purpose. Passion. Yeah. And passion what, that I, I didn't would say have. You actually, you were led by the spirit to accomplish what your patriarchal blessing said yeah. you would do. And I mean, it's, for us, from hearing the story, we can see a, a direct line of yeah. that's how you got there. And for you, it was probably like, well, I mean, you said it many times. You said, I had no idea why I was doing this. I had no idea why I right. was doing that. But obviously, the Spirit's working very powerfully in your life to get you where Heavenly Father knows yeah. you're going to be happy and He wants you to be. Yeah, and I think finding maybe finding that personal connection is important. Yeah, there's like, that phrase again, connection. Yeah, That's trying all. to find that personal connection might help people who mm -hmm. are struggling to maybe find the time or the energy to do it. Because I know it can be, um, it can be a little bit intense and kind of tedious trying to look through all the records, and it can be confusing. And but we have we have a lot of help too, and so I think, you know. I did ask people for a lot of help along the way as well. I don't know if I answered your question there, but no, yeah, that was good. No, that's awesome. That's and you're doing it in our ward now, which is amazing. You in the Relief Society, you guy, we've we've had so much success recently with yeah. uh, training and temple trips and things of that nature. And, yeah, that was really. Uh, cool. I know that it's. I know that it's caught fire in our ward, and we talked about it in ward council this morning about. Okay, we've got four trips that we're doing yeah. every year. We're going to do as a ward, and we're going to be there and 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 talking kind of like <laughs> you were about using people to say, "Hey, do you do you have some names <laughs> for the temple? The youth want to take him, and then we want to take him as a ward and just do everything, yeah. or combine those resources the way correlation should happen in the church 
correctly and maximize it. Yeah, I think people sometimes in the baptistry was were looking at me like, "What is wrong with this girl? Like, <laughs> hasn't she gotten enough done today? Like, fifty names. That's is that's a big chunk, right? Like, she, she, she won't get out of those wet clothes. <laughs> just sitting there. Stop poaching all these people. Let them have a peaceful time in the temple. That's so cool. <laughs> but they, you know what? They like it too. If people come and they don't have names, and you can tell them, "Oh, hey, you're doing names for." my family, they, you can see them turn towards you and you have that, again, another point of connection with them that you yeah. wouldn't have had. They really like doing that. And On so things that really matter. Right. See, that's a, that's a huge yeah. difference. Do, getting a connection with somebody over golf, inconsequential things. Mm. It's really nice. But things that are eternal. Yeah. You're, you're dogging our friendship right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever. Maybe you guys have to go to the temple together. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, Sounds can like we golf at the temple? Names. <laughs> I don't know. Go to the temple. Yeah. Temple golf. Temple golf. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Other than having, I think having that personal interest of really trying to find my family was what a big piece of it. And yeah, somebody inviting me to do indexing. It just kind of cascaded from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let let's let's jump into something a little more light for a minute. Let's let's talk about the one time you had a friend break into your car oh, and mine. then you realized it wasn't yours. Oh my gosh. That was so <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, so I liked uh in New York there's this really pretty island kind of hike. Um and so I, I went to the island to go hike and parked and I came back out to my car and I'm like, what the heck? My key's not working. This is bizarre. And so I didn't, I'm like, okay. So it didn't like dawn on me to, and I kind of looked around, you know, but I was, I was frantic in the moment, like the fight or flight kicked in and I wasn't thinking logically clearly. <laughs> and so I called my, the guy that I was dating at the time. Cause he, um, was a tow truck driver and like you got to come and open this car for me and he's like oh I'm, I'm all the way out in such and such massachusetts or something you know i can't come there but call my uncle joe and he'll he'll come he lives like five minutes around the corner he'll come down and he'll he'll break into it for you he used to be a cop and i'm just like oh great so i'm waiting there i'm waiting there and so he comes down and he's he's messing with the trying to get the car open and he's probably like 15 minutes into almost breaking into this car. And I look in the back of the car and I'm like, wait, there's like alcohol bottles. I don't drink alcohol. <laughs> Why are those in there? Oh, that's not my car. <laughs> so I, t- I quickly tell him like, um, I don't think that's my car. This is really embarrassing, but... Just so you know, uh, maybe you should stop trying to break into that vehicle because you could catch a charge <laughs> for that probably. And so there was this big ginormous truck like blocking where my car was. So it was literally on the other side. Like here was the the car that we were trying to block or get in break into. And then this ginormous white truck. And then my car was like a couple cars on the other side of it. And I just couldn't see it. So you got it real <laughs> quick and left, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sent him a gift card for like the store that he likes because I just felt so awful. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I do embarrassing things all the time like that. Well, I've it. totally done yeah. that. My son's Corolla doesn't have power locks, oh, so there's yeah. no like, button. Yeah. So it's just a key, and I've totally tried to break into other people's Corollas because he just has like this really. It's the most generic yeah, looking Corolla. Yeah. Generic car ever. 
I've totally done that. Uh, you know who else can share that story with you is uh, Reed. No, I can't. I have, I have, I have <laughs> no idea what no you're referring to. I tried to, I was told to go, we were on a golf trip, of course. All bad things happen on these golf trips. And I had to go to Kevin Durfee's house and get in his car and drive to Bend where we were golfing. So I get there in the morning. I'm colorblind. So here we go again. Chase oh, I didn't know I, that about you. Beat me with this. Uh-huh. So I, I get in the wrong car. The key fob, the, the door was open. And I guess when I hit the thing, it it was already open. So I sat in the car. I can't start it. I'm pushing the button. It's saying, key doesn't match. And I'm sitting here and I'm not noticing that <laughs> next to me, the lights are flashing. Everything's going. And I'm just saying, what's going on? So five o'clock in the morning, I wake Jason up. Jason, I can't get in Kevin's car. Get him. Get Kevin. And then we get on the phone and we go through this <laughs> stupid thing to find out. Yeah. Hey, colorblind, get the other car, start the car, <laughs> and get to bed. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's most of good. my stories are just like me embarrassing myself in some kind of crazy way. How many times are we going to tell this? Uh, that <laughs> is that is the one. second or third time we've told that on this <sighs> yeah. podcast alone. Hey, it keeps you humble, so. right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, like, colorblind, it's kind of like I don't care. People don't understand what it is anyway. Yeah. And they go, well, you can't see anything but black and white they say yeah right that's it yeah but it's, it's not that it's just you can't tell the value of the color mm-hmm. if they're similar an orange and a red it looks right. like it's the same thing that's all gotcha i can see the colors okay i always tell tony though she was the first black woman i ever married <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, tina what else do you want to talk about um I am always interested by this question from the podcast. That if, is there anything in your life that you wish you could have a redo on? Like, I always find redos really interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. Introspective. Yeah. I think for me, it's like the the people pleasing, the self-loathing, the not, not stepping into my personhood. You know, I think they're all kind of interconnected. Explain that to me. Um. Well, I think... You know, growing up not understanding my own worth and really connecting to my identity, I just always felt like I could, I had to say yes. Like I couldn't say no. Like I have a dear friend who says, um, even once in a while today, go in front of your mirror and stand in front of the mirror and practice saying no. And I've gotten much better at it, but I just, I just didn't even value myself enough to be able to say when things were not good for me and to say no Mm. um the self-loathing i think just like the feeling bad about who i was or who i am or the labels you know that i think we're so our brain wants to make sense of things and so we're kind of disposed to wanting predisposed to wanting to put labels on ourselves and try to put ourselves into these narrow boxes and I think sometimes we even put God into this narrow box of what he can or can't do for us. Well, we try to mm. assume yeah. he bases life on the same value as we do. And, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and we don't understand that, wait, this is a God of miracles, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and he can perform miracles in my life. And so I think just like not understanding a lot of these depths of meaning of really what the gospel is and who Heavenly Father is, who I am, just really impacted me and so if I could go back and, and say no to a bunch of people and places and things <laughs> and and um, value myself more. I know Brene Brown talks about it a lot, which I think is probably like a mental health 
professionals and a mental health professional starter pack is Brene Brown and all her books and stuff. I don't know if you guys follow her at all. I've got a few of her books in my desk right now. (laughs) Yeah. But she talks about how this idea of how like when we try to change ourselves for other people to fit into that narrative of of what they want or to fit into that label of what they want us to be or their meet their expectations we actually lose a bit of who we are and we lose ourselves and when we stand for who we are regardless of of that that really we do have ourselves in in those moments and in those times and the more that we can do that the more we can honor who we are like that's really a better path forward because we're we're individually unique you know and we have these special qualities and talents and gifts and it's not about running someone else's race or you know whatever whatever uh quote or you know uh, cliche you want to put there insert here but it's about um learning to be the best that we can be individually and moving forward in that way. And I think I just would have lived my life very differently if I had known all of this back then. So part of me is like, oh, if I only knew what I knew knew now back then, um, things would have been a lot different for me. But then, of course, I wouldn't be who I am now without having a lot of those experiences, too. And who you are now is not mm-hmm. who you're going to be in 10 years or whatever, right. too. You talked yeah. about sincerity and vulnerability, too, and that, yeah. and that seems to be yeah. really powerful. I yeah. think I think we uh, are afraid of that. Most <clears throat> people are afraid of that. And I talked about that with the youth at camp is that fear seems to drive what everybody's decisions are for mm-hmm. what reason, whether it's called the anxiety or whatever. Fear seems to be the uh the handcuff on people's lives Mm -hmm. and that if they can get away the lord has asked us matter of fact he commanded us in some of the scriptures said thou shalt not fear and we think well no fears you know fears good in some ways and whatever but when you realize the source of it you realize it crushes people Mm -hmm. it 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 paralyzes them it stops them from being what they can be and you know again if you realize uh you're not supposed to fear things your relationships with other people you can connect mm-hmm. better with them. You can be honest. You can say you can say no. Right. <laughs> you can value yeah. yourself and say, "No, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. No good will come from this." Or right. Yeah. I know. I think it's just so important. Those boundaries are really important, and but you have to I value yourself, don't you? you yeah, to. you have to value yourself because Otherwise. nobody else is going to do it for you. Well, and I'm kind of yeah. wondering too. Going kind of going back on something you said was, um, you said you were a people pleaser. And I think there's a, there is a difference between um, being agreeable, right, mm-hmm. and trying to be helpful and being a people pleaser. Right. Like, yeah. like where's kind of the line there where you need to stand up for yourself or where you can kind of be compromising, you know, and, and helping yeah. and, and yeah. where's kind of the line? That's a really good question. I think it's probably different for everyone. And I think noticing how you feel and taking stock of that, I think – When we talk about self-care too, um, self-care is also like being your best, your own best friend and taking really good care of yourself. And sometimes part of being a really good friend to someone and to yourself is like knowing when you need to say no 
knowing when you need to kind of be a parent to yourself and <laughs> say, okay, it's enough now of whatever I'm doing and I Go need to, to right, <laughs> I need to take a time out or whatever. I think it's kind of really knowing yourself well and being able to honor that and knowing your abilities and when you need time. Like I struggle so much with um, time and scheduling and I always think that I can do way more than I actually can do. And then I, I do it all right. Like we went to camp Wednesday and Thursday and then Thursday night I had to do a, a leader training in central point. So I didn't get home till like midnight. Right. So I'm just like, I could have maybe, shifted one of those responsibilities to be kind to myself. Um, so I think it's like learning to be kind to yourself and learning when you can push and maybe when you need to take care of yourself a little bit more, like listening to yourself. I could really relate to that. As we talked about earlier, as a recovering uh, people pleaser, mm -hmm. um, which I think probably many of us are, for me, it was first learning what mindfulness is and how to be mindful and present in the moment. Because for me personally, struggling for years, probably decades of being a people pleaser, I realized that it was so compulsive. I, mm -hmm. Tina, you and I have talked about how, you know, you can be a butterfly and jump to multiple, you know, interests and things like that. And I'm more of a jackhammer where I just like stick on one thing. Did, and can you be a butterfly with a jacket? <laughs> that's what I think I was. That that's yeah, that that's the evolved form. I, that, but you know, I I I noticed that in my own hobbies as far as, you know, golf. Sometimes I would go play golf or I would go snowboard. It's not even fun anymore. It's just I'm I'm compulsively doing it. And I think as a people pleaser in the past, I could be like that too. It's it's not coming from a good place as far as I want to be helpful. Um, I, I have compassion for this person. It's I have to show up for this person because of a reputation I have built up in my own head. Right. And I, for me, that was the breakthrough point of realizing that I'm trying to meet this ideal that I invented myself. God didn't put it there. Other people often didn't put it there. I put it there in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know a couple of times I like wore pants to sacrament meeting. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I'm like, well, you know what? I showed up. Right. <laughs> you know? And so I remember maybe, maybe even growing up. And that's what we saw from the stand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like, yeah. that's what you do when you see people come in like that. It's right. like, please don't anybody look down on them because they're here. Yeah. And, and that might a, be. And it's a struggle. Well, I think we're secretly jealous too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's when somebody wears comes to church without a necktie on it's like i want to be him yeah i want to be that guy how do i be that but so, and, and, as a woman i don't have a lot of compassion for neckties and yeah. all the other things that we have to deal with a necktie seems very small oh, yeah fair. and and maybe that's, that's valid <laughs> maybe that's just like a small example right but i think it kind of if we kind of expand upon that yeah you know just Learning to be okay with yourself where you are, learning to be present in the moment, that's a hard one. You know, like um, I find that I'm often maybe thinking about other things while I'm in, uh, I'm at work and I'm thinking about home, I'm at home, I'm thinking about work, you know? So I think that can be really hard, but I think learning to train our brains um, to be present in the moment so that we can have the best experience 
in each realm that we're in is really important too. And that's so hard when we're, we live such distracted lives. And that's where the peace comes from. What you're talking about. If you can get there and be at peace with that and just say, you know what? I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to work anybody. I'm not trying to please everybody everybody, or or maybe anybody. I mean, the the idea is we're not here to play. We're here to love, Uh um, influence for good. You know, what do they say? Love is a power and it loves an influence. And if, and then if we can also get that because we all need it, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, 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 it's an unharmonious world to try to be harmonious. Yeah. It's very difficult. And especially, again, I don't say your experience is totally unique. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, it's not unique at all. I think that's where, and that's why this is so good. This yeah. the, connection, the Connection Podcast helps people understand that, you know, we are all broken in some way, some form, some fashion, whether we mm-hmm. want to admit it or not. And there's healing out there to be done. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of comes along. They have to go through the same things, experiencing life and having grounded in the gospel, understanding what the Savior's for, mm. and and slowly putting those pieces together so that we can realize, oh, that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm supposed to learn, and this is a work in progress. And I am not stagnating. I'm making progress. Right, it yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't have to be leaps. You know, every day you're jumping over a mm-hmm. higher hurdle. It's one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. um, I think we'll probably wrap there got to get you guys home to make dinner or whatever stuff you do you're not feeding us no, i should <laughs> wow i thought i was told i i have so volunteered much, that well so much for the pleaser huh yeah <laughs> i know people pleasing that hey that's that's it's a step in my healing yeah so much for golf yeah yeah forget that <laughs> um so let's let's rattle through a few things here First of all, favorite color is blue. There are so mm-hmm. many people that like I feel blue. Like that's like the majority of people yeah. we've interviewed. What's up with that? We always talk about blue BYU oh. and <laughs> Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift blue. Yep. You had to get that in there. Lexi wasn't here to defend herself. <laughs> I, I know why. <laughs> she did want to be here for this interview, so maybe we'll bring you back for yeah, a part two. I'd love to come back. We got more stuff to talk to you about. We got to talk about how you you're an auctioneer and. Yeah. Yeah, we we got more stuff. I'd be happy. This has been super fun. Be happy to come back and talk with y'all. So we we always end on the same question and it's we've touched on this a little bit, but how has being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, helped you to better connect with the Savior? Oh man. Well, that's that's a question, isn't it, right there? Um I think I wouldn't be at all what I am today without having been a member of the church. I think I, I, I maybe shudder to think. Uh, I mean, maybe in, in the back of my mind, I would hope I'd be more resilient, but I shudder to think of where I'd be because having those uh, the knowledge of the gospel really helped me to have some parameters, even when I felt like I was kind of living in a wild way and and going away from the church. I still always had it in the back of my head. I think I struggle with understanding the atonement, and that might be part of the self-worth, self-love stuff. Um, I struggle with it, but I know that it has helped me 
get to where I am right now. Um, I know that the Savior's Atonement has helped me infinitely (laughs) and has helped me to come more closer to to understanding who he is, but also who I am. Um, I think they are interconnected. Um, You know, I remember like back in the days when I was just coming back to church and just like praying that I could take sacrament and like, just like, oh, I can't wait till I can take sacrament. Like I'm still kind of a ways away from doing that. And like, that was all part of a process. Right. And now that I've been endowed and stuff, that's all part of a process too. So I think um, really the church has helped me to to know that the Savior has done these things for me as an individual and for all of us. But it's been that um, individual impact on me because, uh, like I said, I still struggle to kind of wrap my mind around it. But I know that it helps me to understand my self-worth and really who I am as this eternal being being that's um, been around for eons of time. And um, I just, I think I encourage everyone to maybe if they're struggling in the moment, um, look back to really who they were, you know, like, and that they are valiant and that they are courageous and that they are brave because we're all here. And if they weren't, they wouldn't be here. And so I think, I don't know if that's totally answering your question, but that's what is popping into my head right now. I think that answered it really well. And and thank you for taking the time. I know it's no small thing to take, you know, a big chunk of your Sunday out to come talk with us and especially to Tina and, and to Reed to come out here. Thank you so much um, for what you guys bring to the show for those who stuck around the whole time, we are at 287 followers and about double that in listeners. I, I don't know why, but I just, I really want to get to 300 plus followers before the end of the summer. Can we do that? So if, if, if you listen to the podcast, share it with somebody you like, share it with somebody who could benefit from this or other episodes and like and subscribe. That, that really helps us keep doing what we're doing. We're coming out with a merch line. We've we've got a few uh, merch items ordered. So if you, some of you had messaged me on social media or sent me a text with a share you did of the show, and I'm going to send some merch your way if you do. We're going to get some dead Baldwin stress balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the shape well, of the heart, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going <laughs> golf balls. We can get some connection golf balls i'm going to now well that would be a false advertisement there's we do very little connecting on the court (laughs) we do some we do more missing (laughs) all right thanks everybody this episode of the connection podcast we're on most podcast carriers so please like and subscribe the show's art is done by joel boreen and the music is provided by drew boreen We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care.